Hey, my name is Matt Poole, and this is Unapologetically Catholic, the podcast where we dive into the different doctrines, dogmas, and beliefs of the Catholic faith to help explain why I'm unapologetically Catholic and why I think that you should be too. And this week, we are going to talk about apostolic succession. Uh, We're going to talk about what it is, why it matters, why is it important, and uh, why the Catholic Church is uh, the apostolic church. Um... If you are a Catholic, every time you go to Mass, you will say the Creed, and in the Creed, we say that we believe in a one holy Catholic and apostolic church, so I thought it would be good to do an episode kind of going over that, why it's important, why does it matter that it's an apostolic church, Um, so yeah, that's what we're going to do this week. Uh, But before we get started, if you could do me a favor, and um, if you haven't already, if you could uh, rate this podcast and maybe leave a little review, uh, that would be very helpful. It helps uh, get more people to see the podcast um, so more people can hear these episodes and maybe get some help out of them or get some benefit out of them, I guess would maybe be the better way to say it. Uh, But anyways, if you have already done that, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, But without further ado, let's get into it. All right, so um, I thought maybe a good place to start this episode on apostolic succession would maybe be what is an apostle (laughs) and what does apostolic succession even mean? Um, So an apostle is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus that were chosen by Jesus himself and um, at towards the end of his Jesus ministry were sent out into the world. Um, so that's, in a nutshell, that's what a, an apostle is. Apostolic succession refers to um, those, the offices that the apostles held, that the 12 apostles held, being uh, filled once they were made vacant. So, um this is kind of a side note, but not really. Uh, the I had some a uh, couple of Mormons who came up to my house a while back, and you know they were originally asking me, "Hey, do you know much about Mormonism?" And I don't know a ton. I know a little bit. Um, I know that Joseph Smith is important there, and something about like that the Joseph Smith brought like the Book of Mormon, or he was given the Book of Mormon by an angel in the woods somewhere in the United States, and um, that was generally about the extent of my knowledge. So um, they were kind of talking to me, and they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically what we believe is that the Jesus established the church with the Twelve, and then the church went away and then came back with Joseph Smith you know, they were saying that's a brief overview. And I was like, wow, okay, so um, where can, where do you get, like, where's your evidence of that? And they were like, well, the 12 died. And I was like, well, right, but like, didn't Jesus promise to be with his church until the end of the age? So, um, and I forget the rest of the conversation from there. I don't think they really said much. They just kept saying that, that well, the, the original 12 died. They that's that's our proof is that they died um so you know and i i just was kind of thinking about that and i've been thinking that about that quite a bit lately and that's kind of when i was a protestant that i had that same kind of mindset right so i was like well yeah 
you know, we can see that there was an importance with the 12 apostles and um, Jesus did something special with Peter, but Peter died and all the rest of the 12 died. Um, So I wouldn't go as far, like when I was a Protestant, I wouldn't go as far as to say like, therefore Jesus church was lost. Um, But, and that it came back with like Martin Luther or something, but I, that's kind of what is said in the Protestant world that like somehow along the line, the church got off track and Martin Luther uh, helped show the truth again. Um, Not that he was not a Joseph Smith. So don't think that I'm trying to compare what Mormons believe about Joseph Smith and Protestants believe about Martin Luther. Not the same thing, but the, the basic idea of like um, there were the 12, there was like, 12 apostles and they were very important, but then they died. So then that was gone, whatever kind of authority they had or power or anything like that, it was gone once they died. Um, that idea is the same between Mormons and at least the Protestant church that I grew up in. Um, but we as Catholics do not believe that we believe that, um, the 12 have were, their roles were filled. Uh, like I said, and, have continued to be filled for the last 2,000 years. And there's an unbroken line of apostolic succession from all the bishops and all the popes who've ever lived back to the original 12. Um, So it's kind of like, I guess you could think of it kind of like a family tree uh, where you have like the base trunk of the tree and then you have like a million different branches the further in time that you go it's the same thing like you know you have uh the pope is going to be the main trunk of the tree and bishops are going to be the big branches and priests who are um oh gosh what is the word uh i can't remember (laughs) priests who are um it's not initiated. Wow. I don't know why I can't remember the specific word. Anyways, I'm sorry. Uh, ordained. That, that's the word I'm looking for. Uh, the priests that have been ordained by the bishops are like the smaller branches coming off the trees, right? So we're all connected to the big trunk, which down to the roots, if you look, the roots are always Jesus, right? So um, anyways, um, so that's kind of like what an apostle is an ap- apostolic succession in a very brief kind of loose nutshell. Um, so this, there's just a couple of places from the Bible that I want to read and then a little bit from the catechism here. Um, so buckle up camper, camper. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know why I said that. Anyways, (laughs) uh, let's start in the catechism in paragraph 857. Uh, it says the church is apostolic because she is founded on the apostles in three ways. Uh, first she, well, she was was and remains built on the foundations of the apostles, the witnesses chosen and sent on mission by Christ himself, with second, uh, with the help of the Spirit dwelling in her, the church keeps and hands on the teaching, the good deposit, the salutary words she has heard from the apostles. Third, she continues to be taught, sanctified, and guided by the apostles until Christ's return, through their successors in pastoral office, the College of Bishops, assisted by priests in union with the successor of Peter, 
the church's supreme pastor. Uh, And then there's a quote here. It says, you are the eternal shepherd who never leaves his flock untended. Through the apostles, you watch over us and protect us always. You made them shepherds of the flock to share in the work of your son. Um, And that quote comes from, it's uh, the Roman Missal, the preface of the apostles one, is where that quote at the end is from. Well, it's part of a quote. So anyways, um, that's the three ways in which the Catholic Church is apostolic. Um, or she, the Catholic Church is founded on the apostles in those three ways. So if we read, let's see, Matthew 28. This will be kind of important for us to kind of keep in mind um, throughout the rest of this podcast episode. Um, so maybe if you get confused pause and reread this section. (laughs) Uh, But it's Matthew 28, verses 16. Um, We'll go down all the way to the end, verse 20. Uh, So it says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated to them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, um, in, you know, I know that when I was talking earlier, I was saying that we as Catholics understand that the uh, apostolic line the foundation was started with the apostles and it has been built on, right? So it's not like there was the 12 and then that was it. And then there was no need for any other kind of apostles or any successors of the apostles that that wasn't important, wasn't needed. Um, and part of that, I know when I was a Protestant would, uh, well, obviously, like I had already said, I would say, well, you're crazy if you think that like, the apostles had successors and that it was an important thing for the the successors to continue because it didn't like they died it didn't matter um but it does matter and one thing that i never really i don't i wouldn't say that i didn't realize when i was a protestant but i, I don't know it it never really made as much sense to me then as it does now being a catholic where in this matthew 28 verse 20 um it, in the at the second half of the verse where it says, Be, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, I guess when I was a Protestant, I thought to the end of the age just meant like he's with them until they died. Um, but that's not what he meant um, because it's not the end of the age yet. <laughs> um, and if we look at what Jesus says to Peter when he um, tells Peter that he is the rock that he's going to build his church on. It's in um, Matthew 16, uh, where Jesus says, uh, Blessed are you, Simon and Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, um, but my Father in heaven. Um, ah, let's see. Well, let's just keep reading. Um, so Matthew 16, verse 18, this is where we'll pick up. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the nether world shall not prevail against it. 
I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on the earth shall be loosed in heaven. Um, so we can see that Peter is the rock that he is going, that Jesus is going to build his church on, right? Um, so he, and, and he promises that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. So we would all, whether we're Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, whatever kind of Christian sect you are, we would all say that, um, Jesus church is still continuing today, right? Um, I think everyone could say yes to that, uh, depending on what, yeah, well, we may disagree about what the church is, but, <laughs> um, we, everyone would say that the church is still continuing today and that church was built on Peter. Um, so the, the line, I, I don't know why as a Protestant, it never really made sense that there was, like I said earlier, that it was important to have the 12 and even like I would read here where it says that Jesus gave keys, the the keys to the kingdom of heaven to Peter and that like they just disappeared after Peter died and like the binding and loosing didn't really matter after Peter that didn't really nothing like that happened after Peter and I think a big reason for that is because uh, as Protestants we would always believe in scripture alone so because we can see in scripture where Jesus gave Peter the keys to the kingdom um but we don't see in scripture Peter giving those keys to someone else, not that they're actual physical keys, um, but we can't see Peter um, uh, installing someone or ordaining someone or getting someone to take his place because it's not clearly written out in scripture, then Protestants would say, well, no, that's we can see that that was given to Peter, and we don't know what happens after that, but sure, Peter had that authority, but that was only for Peter. No one else got that. Um, we as Catholics don't believe that, obviously. We believe that that line has continued. Um, so, <clears throat> and part of Jesus building his church is that the church well, like in Matthew 28 here, let's go back to um, Matthew 28 when he, um, when Jesus commissions the the 12, he tells them, uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Um, so, part of the apostolic succession is that there is Jesus thought that it was important to have someone to protect, to guide, and to guard the truths that Jesus has taught to the 12 apostles and to hand that down faithfully. Um, so now the argument that I will hear a lot, and I'm sure if you're a Catholic who talks to Protestants, you've probably heard this too, that you will hear against well, I, I would if I was going to say apostolic succession, but it's more against the Pope, um, is that you can't trust fallen sinful man. Uh, human beings are easily deceived and easily deceive a bull. Um, you can't trust a 
human being with the things of God. It, all, all these kind of arguments that like, you know, well, the Pope is just another person just like me and you. He's, you know, he's affected by sin just like everyone else. And how are you to tell me that like this man is the vicar of Christ? Like, how can you say that? Well, I would say because Matthew 16 and 28. So Jesus commissioned the 12, told them to go and teach the gospel to all the nations and to baptize them and to um, teach them to observe all that Jesus taught them to observe. And then not only that, but at the end of it, he said, and behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. So yes, even, I mean, you, why wouldn't you say the same thing about, like, you, I understand Protestants being worried about the Pope, right? Because he's a human being. But you would never hear a Protestant say that exact same thing about the 12 apostles, saying, oh, well, we can't trust the writing in Acts because you can't trust a fallen sinful human being to rightly divide the word of God. You know, like like Paul, you can't you can't trust Paul because he's a fallen sinful human being. So all the books that Paul wrote in the scripture, we should just take out of there. You know, everything that Peter wrote, we need to just take out of there. Um, everything that James wrote, we need to take out of the scripture because these are all fallen sinful human beings and they cannot be trusted the way that Jesus can be trusted. Uh, no one would ever say that. No Protestant would ever say that. And and it's because we, as Protestants, I can remember always understanding that, like, yes, these people who wrote scripture were human beings and they were sinful and they were fallen, um, but at the same time, they were guided by the Holy Spirit, right? So we understood that, like, they were not speaking of themselves. They were not, like, sitting down in a chair and thinking, oh, what, what kind of new news can I give? What kind of new saying? Or what, what would be a really neat thing to tell everybody? Um, that We all know that's not true. We all know that God was guiding these people to write the word of God. So it's the same type of thing, not the exact same thing, because scripture is, is done. It, the canon is complete. No one is writing new scripture. But with the Pope, um, when he speaks ex cathedra, this is kind of off topic, but a little bit on topic. <laughs> uh, when the Pope speaks ex cathedra, we can have faith that the things that he is dogmatically defining are correct, and it's not because the Pope is so great and awesome, but because of this promise that Jesus gave right here in Matthew 28, verse 20, and behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. That succession, that line of succession has continued from Peter to Pope Francis today, and that promise has stayed with Peter all the way to Pope Francis today. Um, so that is a little bit as to why we can trust the apostolic succession as well, I guess, um, and why it's important that we have a person to guide and to guard and to protect the truths of God. Um and to keep them from error. We can we can have faith that that like Jesus said, the gates of hell would not prevail against his church that he was building on Peter the rock. Um, so the church did not get confused in whatever year and then need to be 
fixed and need to be, you know, repaired. There was problems in the Catholic Church that needed to be guarded and fixed and repaired, but it was not things that the church had dogmatically defined uh, that needed to be fixed in the year 1500 by Martin Luther and company. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So uh, anyways, the second point here, it says, with the help of the spirit dwelling in her, the church keeps and hands on the teaching, the good deposit, the the salutary words she has heard from the apostles. Um, So that again, just the teaching has been guided and guarded all throughout the ages, which if you think about it, for something to, for teaching to be handed down for 2,000 years and to not be incorrect makes you kind of think that maybe there's somebody a little bit bigger than ourselves who's guiding this thing and making sure this thing doesn't go off track. I would say it's probably the promise that Jesus made that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. I really don't know why I whispered, but... (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry. Anyways, um, and uh, so here the third bullet point says she continues to be taught sanctified and guided by the apostles until christ's return through their successors in pastoral office the college of bishops assisted by the priest in union with the successor of peter the church's supreme pastor um so also just as a side note the yes peter is one of the 12 apostles and um but he is the head of the 12 and why do i say that well because um, when we read in Matthew 16 that Jesus is talking with all of the 12 and asking them, who do you say that I am? And Peter is the only one who answers correctly. Um, and then Jesus singles Peter out, right? So, um, and it, it's not because Peter is better than the rest of the 12, but because of what was revealed to Peter uh, by God himself. That is why Jesus chose him to be the rock that his church was built on. So uh, now I kind of want to read, well, kind of. I do want to read uh, paragraph number 862 in the Catechism. It says, Just as the office which the Lord confided to Peter alone as first of the apostles, destined to be transmitted to his successors, is a permanent one, so also endures the office which the apostles received, of shepherding the church, a charge destined to be exercised without interruption by the sacred order of bishops. Hence, the church teaches that the bishops have, by divine institution, taken the place of the apostles as pastor of the church, in such wise that whoever listens to them is listening to Christ, and whoever despises them despises Christ in him who sent Christ. Um, So I wanted to read this part, because as I was reading this, it really started to click in my head. Uh, The church that I grew up in was really heavy on, like, local church authority and local church leadership. Um, So they would read different passages of the Bible, and where it talks about, like, authority, like the church having authority, or um, elders having authority, or, like, pastors having certain types of authority, things like that, they would say all of that pertains to each individual local church. So that does not mean that there is a big one universal like leadership, but each 
small individual leaderships, I guess. Um, so the more that I have thought about this, the more that I really understand that like Protestants really don't have a problem with apostolic succession, <laughs> um, in a sense, because every single local Protestant church has apostolic succession, right? So, um, you have a pastor, well, not, they don't have apostolic succession. They have like a, um, pseudo apostolic succession because it doesn't go all the way back to the apostles. Every pastor that's ordained goes back to Martin Luther who left the church, who cut himself off from the church. So he cut off that line. Um, anyways, uh, so that's why it's important to be Catholic and not just Protestant. So if you're Protestant, convert to Catholicism. Uh, anyways, <laughs> um, so yes, so every local church, like, um, at least in the church that I grew up as a kid, the head pastor was like the Pope, right? Sort of. Um, so if he said, this is what we believe or well, not each local church. It's strange. It's so strange. The more I think about it, like, okay, the Southern, I was, I went to a Southern Baptist church as a kid. So it was a part of the Southern Baptist convention. So what made you a part of the Southern Baptist convention? Well, if you held to the doctrines that the Southern Baptist held to, which they came up with a catechism for, then they would say, okay, you can be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention if you agree to these doctrines or this catechism, right? So um, if you don't agree to them, then you either need to leave or you will be shown the way out. So it's very much like the Catholic Church, except for we can trace our line of leadership all the way back to Jesus himself giving authority to the Twelve and every other denomination there's no other denomination that can do that. There's no Protestant denomination that can do that. Um, so it's just strange that for us as Catholics to look to, you know, a head or to the Pope um, or to the church to say, teach us the truths of God, um, that they also would look to conventions or leaderships or groups or whatever and say tell us you know what do we got to believe right to be a part of the club it's very strange there's a bunch of small um pseudo catholic churches in every denomination or like the presbyterians have a the same kind of authoritative structure where your local church reports up to a group of folks and those group of folks report up to another group of folks. And if you agree with their doctrines and things, then that's great. You can be a part of the, whether it's PCA, PCUSA, whatever kind of pre Presbyterian sect, which if you're not familiar, Presbyterians have like two or, or a number of different, there's reformations and splits even within the Presbyterian Church. <laughs> um, so, yeah, anyways. Yeah, just, I just wanted to point that out because um, I thought it was important. And, you know, then I was reading uh, here too, and it says whoever, you know, accepts you, accepts me. Well, let's read it. Um, there's a couple passages here in Acts. 
verse 10. This is after Jesus sends off the 12 disciples. Um, in Acts 10, 14, he says, Whoever will not receive you or listen to your words, go outside that house or town and shake the dust from your feet. Amen, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on that on the day of judgment than for that town. Um, so it seems as though the things that the apostles are called to say, if you reject something from the apostles, it seemed to Jesus to be a pretty big deal. <laughs> um, and so then we'll read Acts 10, 40 through 42 as well. Says, and this is referring to the twelve disciples, or sorry, twelve apostles, or twelve disciples. Anyways, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Whoever receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever receives a righteous man because he is righteous will receive a righteous man's reward, and whoever gives only a cup of cold water to one of these little ones to drink because he is a disciple. Amen. I say to you, he will surely not lose his reward. Um, so that as a Protestant, I kind of, I don't, I don't really know what I thought of those verses as a Protestant, but now it's really interesting because we can see the importance that the apostles have. Um, and you know, we can see that this is not something that Jesus went around saying to all Christians of the day, but only said to the 12 apostles when he was sending them out into the world. Uh, he says, whoever receives you receives me. So the apostles and their successors are, are um, at times operating in the person of Christ. N not at all times, just like with the Pope, not every word that he speaks that you hear on the news is an infallible word. Uh, there's only a specific time that, um, He's speaking infallibly, but Jesus says right here in verse 40, whoever receives you receives me. Um, and then in verse 42, and whoever gives only a cup of cold water to one of these little ones to drink because he is a disciple, amen, I say to you, he will surely not lose his reward. So even treating um, treating them with respect and dignity seems to even, I mean, Jesus himself says that whoever gives a cup of cold water to them will not lose their reward. Um, so they're very important. Uh, and so this whole time during this episode, I've been talking about, you know, apostolic succession and uh, the continuation of the apostles and that there's an unbroken line from Peter to today. And the rest of the 12 have unbroken lines of uh, bishops that have continued on for 2,000 years. So I know uh, as Catholics, we don't, we understand that not all of the teaching and truths have to come from only scripture. There's things that Protestants don't get from only scripture, like the Trinity, um, but they would say that you can deduce that from scripture, but other people have not deduced that from scripture as Protestants, but if somehow everyone just happens to land on the fact that God is three in one. Um, it, I think that maybe that one came from a church council as well, um, a Catholic church council. <laughs> but anyways, um, so where can, but there are some things that are like clearly laid out in scripture. And so from time to time when there's things that, you know, we can even see in scripture, um, 
I like to kind of point those things out because, you know, like, um, what's the right way to say it? If, if you are going to argue from an authoritative point, if you disagree on your authoritative point, then like your argument that follows is kind of invalid. Um, so is there any evidence in the scripture of apostolic succession at all? Well, I'm glad you asked. Yes, there is. In Acts 1, um, we'll start reading in verse 15. It's kind of long, but I think it's important to read. Um, I'm sure if you are a Christian, whether you're Catholic, Protestant, no matter what you are, uh, if you're listening to this, you are familiar familiar with Judas. Um, so let's read. Acts 1.15. During those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the brothers. There was a group of about 120 persons in the one place. He said, My brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who was the guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was numbered among us and was allotted a sharing in this ministry. He bought a parcel of land with the wages of his iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his insides spilled out. This became known to everyone who lived in Jerusalem, so that the parcel of land was called, in their language, I'm going to butcher this, Akeldama? Uh, <laughs> we'll move on. That is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his encampment become desolate and may no one dwell in it, and may another take his office. Therefore, it is necessary that one of the men who accompanied us the whole time the Lord Jesus came and went among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day on which he was taken up from us, become with us a witness to his resurrection. So they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic ministry from which Judas turned away to go to his own place. Then they gave lots to them, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was counted with the eleven apostles. So I know what a lot of times what I would hear as a Protestant is that, well, yes, it was important for Judas to be replaced because it was, one, spoken of in the Old Testament, um, and two, because, uh, well, another important or key point in it was that um, Matthias was also a witness of Jesus. Like, he saw Jesus. Um, he was around the same time that Jesus was alive and walking on the earth. Uh, but there's a big difference between Judas and Matthias. They both saw Jesus. They both interacted with him. They both believed in his words and, and obeyed, right? Well, up to a point for Judas. Um, but Matthias continued. Uh, anyways, but what's the big difference? The big difference is that who were these people in, installed as apostles by? Judas was given the role of, of apostle by Jesus himself, but Matthias was not, because Jesus had already resurrected into heaven at this point. So if it was, 
if it was true that whatever kind of authority or power or honor or dignity or whatever that it was that was given to the 12 apostles ended when the 12 died because they were only given that power by Jesus and that power could not be handed on by the 12 themselves, then they would not also have been able to to um, have someone take Judas' office. But they did. How could they do that? Because when Jesus gave authority to Peter and the 12, um, with that authority came the authority to hand on that authority. And we see right here in Acts 1 um, that it was important for Judas to be replaced. So if it was reported important for Judas to be replaced with Matthias, do you think that it would also be important that Matthias is replaced by someone else, and that someone else is replaced by someone else? And do you think that if it was important for Judas to be replaced, that it's even more important for Peter to be replaced? Because we can see that Peter has some kind of special authority, some kind of special uh, place, um, which kind of talking tongue-in-cheek, Peter was the first pope, right? So it's it's obviously very important. Um, but Peter was the first pope, and we can see that in Scripture. And so if it was important to replace Jesus, uh, not Jesus, can't replace him. If you If it was important to replace Judas, then it was absolutely be, it would be absolutely important to replace Peter as well. Um, and why does this, why does all this matter? Um, because of what was given to the 12 and the task that was given to the 12, the importance of the task that was given to the 12, which is to hand on the truth and the teaching and to hand on the faith, um, and to, to go to all the nations, uh, and baptize them. And so it's, that's why it's important that you be a part of the apostolic church, because it's the it's the rock and the foundation that Jesus has built his church on. Um, and when, it, for Protestants at least, um, when they left, when Martin Luther left the Catholic Church, Martin Luther was anathematized. Uh, he never came back to the Catholic Church as far as I know. I've never heard anything like that. He never brought Protestantism back to the church. So the, when Luther left, um, that apostolic succession was cut off. And it's important to be a part of that line of apostles that were given the task to guide and to guard the truth of Jesus from Jesus himself by the power of the Holy Spirit because of the promise that Jesus gave to the Twelve, uh, and especially to Peter, that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. That's why it's important to be a part of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Well, that's it. That's apostolic succession. It's what it is, uh, why it's important, why it matters, and why you should be a part of the only apostolic church that Jesus established. Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it was beneficial for you if it was if you um 
share it around if you could share it around with friends family whoever um if you share it on your instagram story make sure to uh, tag us in it so that we can see it i'd love to see it um it is at unapologetically catholic pod on instagram uh, and if you don't follow us there that would be great if you could and um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or anything like that uh, about this episode or any other episodes, feel free to send me an email. The email address is unapologeticallycatholicpod at gmail.com, and I'll be happy to have a conversation with you there. Um, but anyways, uh, that's it for this week. I think next week we may go over the Mass and what it is and maybe a little bit more of a practical, like, what to expect when going to Mass. If you've never been to Mass before, uh, it'd be a good episode to listen to. But anyways, uh, with that, may you have a good week, and um, I will continue to pray for you, and may God bless you.